Anchored is a production of the Classic Learning Test, based in Annapolis, Maryland, reconnecting knowledge and virtue through meaningful assessments. Visit us at cltexam.com slash get started. Welcome back to the Anchor Podcast, the official podcast of the Classic Learning Test. We are here in lovely, beautiful Hillsdale, Michigan on a gorgeous fall day with the one and only Dr. David Diener, uh, who is, is one of the most thoughtful people on an incredibly thoughtful board of academic advisors that we have uh, at CLT. Dr. Diener, thanks for being with us this morning. Oh, thank you so much, Jeremy. It's great to be here. So Michigan is, is home for you, right? You grew up here as a young boy? Yes, I grew up up in northern Michigan. Uh, my parents were both teachers. It's a great, great state to grow up in. Fantastic. And then uh, as, a, as a young boy, were you uh, were you already interested in, in kind of the life of the mind? Did you love school? What was that like for you? Yeah, I did always love learning. I enjoyed school and uh, was an avid reader, loved learning about a lot of different things. I had a lot of hobbies even as a kid and uh, did electrical engineering and music and lots of lots of different hobbies. But yeah, I always enjoyed enjoyed learning, never really thought about becoming a, a teacher or a professor uh, which I should have seen coming because my parents were both teachers, but just never really thought about that as a kid. Uh, and then, uh, and then came into it later. Hmm. Now, these are public schools, Christian schools, homeschool, uh, both. So yeah, I went to, um, mostly, well, so Christian schools, kindergarten, public school, and then elementary, uh, and junior high Christian school, two different Christian schools, and then public high school. Okay. Okay. Fantastic. And tell us about the journey to Wheaton, uh, for your undergrad. How did you pick Wheaton and yeah, so so I thought I wanted to become a pastor uh, when I when I finished mm. high school, and so I was looking for Christian colleges that had strong academics, and uh, looked at a, at a couple options, and ended up at Wheaton. And then while I was at Wheaton, uh, switched from biblical studies to philosophy and ancient languages. So I ended up uh, graduating with a philosophy degree, and then and, and did a lot of work in ancient languages as well. And then also met my wife there, and so. I've been married to Brooke for 23 years now. So the list of languages Dr. Diener knows continues to pile up. So, so you speak to your own kiddos often in Spanish. We can talk about the, the chapter of your life down in, in South America, but then Greek and Latin as well. Is that accurate? Yeah. So so I, in undergrad, I did Greek and Hebrew and then okay. uh, picked up some Latin in graduate school also. And then, yes, uh, yes, I, I'm fluent in Spanish. My parents both lived in Central America before I was born. And so they spoke Spanish. And then my wife and I lived in uh, Colombia, in Bogota, taught, teaching at a Christian international school there. Mm. And our first, uh, our first child, we have four. Our first son was born there, and so ever since then, I've spoken to our children exclusively in Spanish. And it was really there in Bogota where I fell in love with teaching, and okay. and found that the, <clears throat> the teaching provided a platform that brought together my love of learning and the life of the mind with uh, discipleship and and working with students and affecting their lives and walking uh, with them. And so we decided that we would come back to the States for me to go to graduate school because I had absolutely no credentials to, okay, <laughs> to teach any, at all. Okay. And uh, that's what led us back to, so, to so grad it, school. It wasn't at Wheaton, it was in, in South America that you first started to think, what would it be like to be a professor at the college level? That's correct. Okay. That's correct. Um, and then the, the journey to where you are now, we'll, we'll talk a lot today about the the, the new graduate program here uh, at Hillsdale uh, in education. Uh, but the journey here, I mean, you spent time uh, at Covenant Classical in Fort Worth, Texas, uh, as the head of school at Grace in Georgetown, then as a head of school at Hillsdale Academy. Uh, so tell us a bit about that time uh, running schools, building culture. I mean, as a head of school within this this movement, 
uh, it can be challenging. You've got to kind of be a jack of all trades in many ways. What was that experience like for you? Sure. Yeah. So I so I came into classical education through through my wife actually. So I went to when we came back from from Columbia. I was at Indiana University and started uh, in a PhD program in philosophy of education, and then ended up adding a, a PhD program in philosophy also. So I did. I was doing a dual PhD in philosophy and philosophy of education. And our our young children at that point, my wife was doing some homeschooling, preschool okay. homeschooling things, and went to a couple of conferences and came back and said, hey, you need to look at this classical stuff. It seems like these classical people really have something that resonates with our understanding of education. And so I got involved with the Alcuin Fellowship and Classical Academic Press and um, SCL and started doing uh, some speaking and writing and, and getting to know people within those networks. And, and so I had just assumed that my trajectory would be mm. finish a PhD, become sure. a professor. And, and I, and, and as I got more involved with the classical Christian education movement, I just became convinced that there was so much happening at the K-12 level uh, that was, that, that the education was so impactful, was so important, and even sort of selfishly uh, was going to, in some ways, be more fulfilling for mm-hmm. me just professionally. And so I ended up uh, at one point after graduate school, turning down a, a headmaster job offer and a tenure track uh, chair of a philosophy department job offer at a, at a Christian yeah. liberal arts college to go work, as you said, at, at Covenant Classical School in Fort Worth as a head of upper schools, because I just, I saw the educational value and impact and, and that, that, that the classical education movement was happening. And so since then, um, you, you asked about the, the trajectory since then I've, I've been kind of, uh, on these, this dual trajectory with, uh, both doing full-time administrative work, uh, as, as a headmaster of two schools, then you said, and, and also continuing to teach and speak and write and uh, be involved in the life of the mind academically as well. Yep. So the, the life of the mind, tell us about your, your dissertation, your, your focus, uh, your PhD program. Well, so my dissertation was on Soren Kierkegaard's uh, understanding of authority uh, oh. because I, uh, I have always loved Kierkegaard and was able to um, uh, work with some some great folks at, at IU at, at that time uh, who, who, who did work on Kierkegaard. So, so my dissertation was really on Kierkegaard uh, which had nothing really to do with classical education. Well, yeah, I, I mispronounced it. I've always said Kierkegaard, but that is incorrect. Yeah, the Danish, the 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 D after the R. You know, it's it's actually should be something more like Kierkegaard, but okay. but I'm not a fluent Danish speaker, so okay. Well, I'm not I'm not going to attempt to pronounce no, it the well, right yeah. way. But, but but for the layman, what 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 is his contribution uh, to, to to modern thought and education in particular? Well, so he's a fascinating figure in so many ways. Um, he's a weird figure in so many ways. Um, and he, he is reacting to the, the, uh, especially Hegel, he's re- reacting, especially to Hegel, but, but the idea of, uh, being able to, uh, sort of through the enlightenment, put human understanding into these neat, comprehensive, tidy systems. Hmm. Um, and he's, he's an early existentialist, right? So he's, um, his thought ranges over an incredible um, uh, variety of topics, uh, from philosophical to theological, so so that that's both uh, inspiring in certain ways, and also makes research, especially philosophical research, uh, into Kierkegaard's work difficult because the secondary literature mm. is very diffuse. I mean, you get lots of 
people in, you know, um, sort of lit crit studies. It, yeah. he, he wrote with all these pseudonyms. So even, even understanding his corpus is complicated. I mean, there's the row of books, hmm. you know, on the shelf, you know, thousands of pages. Um, but he's writing from these different pseudonymous points of view with these different authors that uh, have different perspectives. And so anytime somebody says, you know, well, Kierkegaard believed X because he writes it, you should be very suspicious because <laughs> it's it's sort of, it's almost like a drama over, you know, book after book after book where these different authors are engaging with each other in different ways. So figuring out what he actually thought um, is complicated, but I, but I think also really rewarding. So I'd love for you to comment on this. When I was in seminary, a Reformed Theological Seminary, I, I think it was a Michael Horton class, and he laid out a very simple framework to kind of think about the, the history of Western thought. And essentially, it was four or five stages of you have a millennia or more where kind of the church is the authority, epistemological authority, uh, and then you have the Reformation, and the, the Bible is the authority. Uh, then you go into the Enlightenment, you know, where the mind and science is the authority, uh, and then you get to to kind of a postmodern period where kind of the concept itself of authority is is rejected. Uh, that basic framework is that is that helpful, or how would you nuance that? Um, no, yeah, I think that that's helpful in many ways. Obviously, there are there are many layers of nuance, um, but but I think I mean in terms of what what Kierkegaard was doing in Denmark in the middle mid nineteenth century, he was recognizing um, in, in many ways that the emperor had no clothes hmm. of that uh, of the authority of the human mind, and so it's calling things into question, but, but also is is. Uh, very much a Christian thinker. And so he's pointing out, I mean, he had scathing attacks on the Lutheran Danish church, for example, okay. uh, but he is not in any way um, um, expressing the kind of nihilism that comes later. Okay. Orthodox. And in terms of kind of Nicene Creed Orthodox, would you say mere Christianity Orthodox or would you describe him as more? No, I would. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Okay. okay. Fascinating. Um, well, let's dig in a bit here. I want to talk about uh, the work you're doing now. You know, there, there's a number just in the past few years uh, of, of graduate programs. I think some of our listeners, many of you are teachers uh, thinking about, you know, what what can I do next? Uh, you you know firsthand from your experience at Grace uh, in Texas, uh, from Covenant Classical, from Hillsdale Academy, um, you know, the, the, the classical renewal movement is growing rapidly. Uh, and within this movement, there are, are some real needs. Uh, and I, I love the way that, that Gordon and UD and, and Templeton uh, and, and Hillsdale are, are stepping up uh, to, to solve this. So, so, so let's start with maybe kind of some high level overview of what, what are you doing at Hillsdale at the graduate level here for education? And how is that different from Gordon and UD and Templeton and, and some others? Yeah, sure. If I may, just um, I, I think where we're at in the classical education renewal movement, or, or I could say in the history of education itself is a real we're at a really interesting point in time uh because there 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 are obviously so many problems in education and even in the past decade or two decades uh the the number of educators and thinkers working in the classical education space has grown right? i mean clt right yeah. as as one sort of indicator of that has grown so much in recent years and so um, one of the things that I have been really interested in helping to foster throughout my career over the years is bringing together the worlds of higher education mm. and K-12 classical education. Yeah. And you don't have to go very far back to, to a point where there was just almost no dialogue between mm. those two worlds. Wow. There, was, there was the world of, of higher education um, and even within you know, liberal arts uh, colleges. 
And then you had what was going on in the K-12 classical schools. And there wasn't a lot of discussion between the two. And so what I've seen happening, which is super mm-hmm. exciting to me, and hopefully my my life and work can help contribute to this, is, is, is a couple of ways in which those worlds are coming together. One would be a deepening of just the understanding of what classical education is. Mm-hmm. This is such a rich tradition it, it, with so many nuances and this rich history and philosophy um, uh, uh, of what education has been for mm-hmm. centuries and as it grew. And so I think that some of the maybe superficial conceptions of what classical education is, even a few decades ago, have really been deepened as academics and people with philosophical, historical, um, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, theological, literary, et cetera, other kinds of academic backgrounds speak into it. And then the second thing would just be the need for good leadership. So as classical education grows, um, and, and I mean, I've seen, you know, firsthand what leadership is like, and it's a hard it's a hard job and it's a hard but incredibly important aspect of, of having flourishing and thriving schools. And so uh, providing graduate level programs for people to continue to deepen their understanding of the tradition and also be equipped and prepared for, in some cases, administrative work, I think is really, really valuable. Yeah, you know, David, I, I want to talk about this for a minute because You've been part of these conversations with folks like Rob Jackson and Dr. Brian Williams and in terms of actually just even defining what is classical education. And I think one of your real gifts as a leader is, is being able in the same way C.S. Lewis could do it, kind of, kind of leaving the ivory tower and talking to normal folks about what even is this? Because what we have right now is broad, broad discontent with mainstream K-12, uh, but people are open so, so a parent who knows very little, you know, when you were at Hillsdale Academy or Georgetown and they say, what, what, what is this in a way that's digestible? How, how would you kind of give a short explanation for what even classical education is? Yeah. So, so that's the nefarious question that's unanswerable, right? <laughs> like how, how do you sum up uh, a couple thousand years of educational thought in 30 seconds? Uh, right. It's, it's not a fair question, but it's an important question. It's one that we all need to be able to, to answer. When I need to give a very um, simple or or um, concise explanation of what this yeah. is, I like to talk about classical education in terms of its goals, okay. in terms of the telos. Yeah. So, so fundamentally, uh, at the end of the day, I don't think what distinguishes classical education from other kinds of education is principally a matter of a certain pedagogical technique or a certain um, you know, certain elements in the curriculum uh, or or a certain structure of the school, all of those things are important. And obviously within the tradition of the classical liberal arts, I mean, there are certain curricular subjects, Latin, you know, logic, et cetera, that that were standard parts that the the liberal arts part of of this paradigm. But I think most fundamentally, um, it's a question of what are the goals of education? Hmm. And so a way that I sometimes have found useful to talk about this with parents is to say, what are your goals? Say you have a five-year-old, you know, mm. you're you're looking for educational options. Yeah. What are your goals for your child? What do you want your child to be in 40 years yeah. or in 80 years? Huh. Like what do you hope for their life? Right. Yeah. And and most parents um say things like, you know, I want them to uh love the Lord, mm. or I want them to be a thriving um and active participant in their local community, the civic society in their church. I want them to um, 
be a good husband or wife, father, mother, grandparent, right? Like yeah. most parents have this. I did have one mom tell me one time, uh, you know, my goal for my son is to go to MIT. Uh-huh. And I think this school is the best way to get him there. Uh-huh. I said, okay, well, that's not exactly yeah. what we're about, you know. So most parents think in those terms. Most parents don't say, mm-hmm. my my goal for my little five-year-old is that, you know, he, he uh, has a prestigious uh, resume and has a big salary as a 22 year old and a white picket fence yeah, and drives a fancy car. Right. And so if you, if, if you can get at what parents want for their child, and then that opens a door to say, okay, what is, what is our system of modern education you know, in our contemporary mm-hmm. society geared toward? What is it ultimately pointing students toward? And what is classical education and what are our goals? Yeah. And ultimately, I mean, sort of to, so, to, to tie the loop, yeah. ultimately classical education has to do with the cultivation of human beings who are able to uh, live virtuously, that uh-huh. is to say, fulfill their purpose okay. um, as human beings. And once you once that's on the table, then you can go a lot of di- different directions. Aristotelian human flourishing, yeah. right? Beatific vision. I mean, there's a lot of ways you can okay, go. Okay, so, so the basic difference you're saying is, is, is the end is human flourishing versus essentially credentialism, job placement, getting into an elite college. Um, it's, which, it's, which many yeah. times are means to economic ends. Okay. 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 That's well said. Uh, and so, so necessarily is classical education, is it, is it necessarily tied to the Western canon or is that just one expression of it? Um, I, well, so classical education historically developed within the Western tradition. Um, but there certainly are, it, it is certainly universal in scope in the sense that uh, human beings should be educated for virtue and wisdom and flourishing mm-hmm. all over. Yeah. And so uh, the classical education that's happening in um, in all over Africa through mm-hmm. the Rafiki schools, yep. uh, the, the classical Christian education that's happening in, in parts of Asia, mm-hmm. I mean, are examples of how uh, South America also yeah. are examples of how this is not merely a Western phenomenon. Okay. So, so teachers uh, listening to this pod, um, talk, talk to us a little bit about, about the differences between these various options that are out there. I, I think that's w- one way. CLT always wants to just be a great resource. We want the Anchor Podcast to be a great resource. Uh, if, if you're a teacher, you're, you're thinking about a, a graduate degree, um, talk, talk a little bit about the strengths of, of each of the program and how the one being offered at Hillsdale is, is different. Sure. So there are a couple of distinctives about the MA program at Hillsdale. Um, and and it's super exciting. I'm, Hillsdale, I think, really um, can be the gold standard in providing uh, this caliber of education. So just a, a couple thoughts. First of all, uh, our master's program in classical education uh, is fully funded. So so for okay. students who are accepted, the tuition is, is funded, it's covered. And then there's a, a graduate assistantship also. Uh, that goes along with that for a stipend. So okay. that's that's nice. That's right? amazing. No, that's on, <laughs> beyond nice. That's on, amazing. On a practical. So you get admitted into the program, and and you're you're covered. You're not having to to, to work, you know, an all night shift at the local, you know, wherever. Uh, that that's amazing. And and so they're they're uh, they're graduate assistants as well. Uh, what kind of work? And I believe there's there's a ten or fifteen in this first inaugural class. Is that right? Correct. That's correct. And so um, they work uh, on campus with other right. departments. Um, as much as possible, we have them working with other uh, groups that are working in in the classical education space. So 
So, some are uh, apprenticing at the academy. They are working at the academy at Hillsdale Academy, okay. which is our our own K twelve classical Christian school that's owned and operated by Hillsdale College. Uh, some are working in the K twelve office, uh, which works with uh, public charter schools as well as uh, private schools and uh, and even homeschoolers uh, uh, around the country uh, to to support those and help them uh, grow. And, and so, yeah, they, they get some practical on the ground experiences in addition to their coursework. Okay. We had this conversation a bit last night at one of the, one of the two or three delightful Hillsdale pubs of rough draft was an interesting conversation, but, you know, at a lot of schools that we've talked to colleges, um, you know, there is uh, there's the education program uh, and often that reflects mainstream K-12 and it's tied into, to, you know, state certification. You're, you're getting your license to be, become a teacher. Uh, and one of the things you were saying about the strength of the Hillsdale program is that there's, there's not a tension between, you know, this, this new classical thing uh, and, and kind of accommodating it. But this is, you know, from, from freshman year for, for students, uh, th- this is the kind of education, not kind of one one option. Yeah, that's right. And I, one of the challenges that many classical education programs have faced within the structures of higher ed is, uh, are, are these, you know, um, institutional political difficulties and, and, uh, and there's great work being done, um, at many institutions. One of the huge blessings about, uh, here at Hillsdale college is as you just said, what we're doing in our education department and the classical education undergraduate program that we have, and, and uh, now as well, the classical education master's degree, uh, those programs are 100% aligned with the vision of education of the institution writ large. Okay. So Hillsdale College is committed to classical liberal arts education, and that is happening through the education department, that is happening through the the school that we own and operate the, the yep. academy that is happening through the outreach efforts of the K twelve office uh, all around the country and so there is not a a um there's there's not a tension or philosophical uh, sort of walking on eggshells at all okay okay that's, that's amazing um so teachers listening right now uh, and what what is a good next step can they already apply for incoming twenty three if there's maybe a current teacher is listening to this if they're three years in and they're they're thinking they love a program like this. Is, is the application already open? How, how do they uh, make themselves a strong applicant for this? Uh, yeah, so so yes, the application process is is open um, and they can go to classicalgrad.hillsdale.edu. Um, they can find this. This is a two-year residential program. So mm-hmm. all of the students, as I said, it's fully funded. Uh, they're here on campus for two years. It's a two-year program. Uh, in the future, we we plan to expand that and offer a hybrid option as well. Uh, but there's great advantage in in sitting across the table from the mm-hmm. students and 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 professors and having conversations. And so that community aspect is really important. Uh, I invited the graduate students uh, this fall over to our house for for a, a bonfire and just a, a casual time of fellowship. And there's other activities like that. Um, sometimes happy hour events and other just mixers that we spend time together, living together and learning together. And and another distinctive of, of this program is that all of the courses are taught by Hillsdale College faculty. So this yeah. is this is a program that's happening here on campus. Um it's it's led by Hillsdale College professors and uh the students um get to learn and grow uh together as a cohort. 
And, and by the way, my my own experience at the Diener household was certainly formative uh, in the, the past seven years, meeting all of these amazing families and schools and uh, just just beautiful uh, family and, and and home culture. So uh, you and your lovely wife uh, Brooke are, are doing doing great work, um, David. I want to I want to pick your brain a bit uh, about this this concept uh, of a tipping point and the growth of the classical renewal movement. You know, and there's there's a lot of you could take a, a hundred different kind of products to something like Bluetooth, where you have early visionary techie people who are fascinated by it, uh, and then it, it eventually, you know, over a period of time. You just buy a car and there's Bluetooth already already wired up, ready to go. And it didn't really matter if you wanted to adopt or not. It's so, so integrated. Um, the, the classical renewal movement, it's now something a typical person has actually heard of. That's new just in the time CLT has been around. I mean, we're, we're seven years old, but early days, it was like, what is this? And now it's like, oh, my my niece is in a classical school. I hear that all the time now. Um, is the movement uh, about to go? Do, do you see it going mainstream? Uh, what, what do you, if you had to predict the future of, of the classical renewal movement in 10 years, what do you picture? Oh my, uh, pull out my, my, my crystal ball here. Yeah. Um, no, I think you're right that there has been significant growth. Um, and, and, and the reality is, I mean, the data that we have is just clear on what this is producing. Mm. And again, I, I don't mean to instrumentalize education in any way, yeah. uh, but, but whether it's the, the, the sort of quantitative metrics that we can use um, in terms of, you know, even things like test scores, I mean, yeah. I, uh, or whether we're talking about life outcomes uh, over years and decades of graduates mm-hmm. and their values and their engagement uh, in their communities and, and their, their leadership and their, and their lifestyle choices. I mean, this is a, this is an approach to education um, that not only conceptually sounds nice, um, it, it, it has great results. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and so I think that what, what you express, you know, oh yeah, my niece or my, I mean, the, the classical uh, school movement has grown. The classical homeschooling movement has mm-hmm. grown incredibly. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and, and it has the, the classical education movement also, I would say over the past, even few years it has, has moved out into a more and more diverse set of populations. Mm-hmm. So uh, socioeconomically, ethnically, et cetera, um, as we were saying earlier, even globally, but I'm thinking even, even within the United States, more and more uh, different kinds of people are are finding and enjoying and benefiting from classical education. So I don't know what the future holds. I mean, I feel like our society is at such a, our civilization really is at such a tipping point. And I think that the students who are who are learning classically have such a potential to step into the gap um, and provide direction and leadership um, of our institutions, of our thinking as well. Um, and, and obviously COVID was a disruptor. Uh-huh. So, so COVID yeah. created in some ways unmasked uh, what, what's happening or not happening in, mm-hmm. in typical schools. The, the challenges, there are real challenges, right? Yeah. I mean, on, on, the, on, on the private classical Christian side, there are, there are challenges of, of, finances because parents have to pay for this, right? Um, and fundraising and those kind of things. That's a very practical thing. On the on the public charter classical side, um, there are political challenges and okay. and the the pressures uh from the educational establishment against school choice, against mm. uh a classical education um are very strong, which is very sad because you would yeah. think 
educators could at least be united on doing what's best for the education of the next generation. <laughs> so, so speaking of, of, of politics, and I've talked to some super thoughtful people within the movement that, that have, I, I think, understandable concerns that uh, the, the classical renewal movement could get, you know, kind of hijacked as, as a, as a right wing, uh, you know, as movement when, when really the, the goal that this is a kind of education uh, aimed at human flourishing that, that really is for all people. Uh, but at the same time, there are actual political concerns. Uh, something, you know, things like school choice are crucial. Most families can't afford to pay out of pocket, you know, ten, fifteen thousand dollars a year per kid to send them to a classical Christian school. Um, what, what are your thoughts on on that concern with uh, the movement being uh, overly politicized? Um, I I think that it's dangerous um, for education ever to to be co-opted or to become a means to an end. So, so, I mean, is classical education conservative? I mean, in certain ways, the answer is obviously yes, <laughs> yeah. right? Like if you believe in the value- it, Of all it, things. That's yeah. right, that's right. I mean, if, if, you, if by conservative, we mean we value the wisdom of the tradition yeah. or we don't arrogantly think that we can just make up everything new and we, we believe that our predecessors, despite their many faults and, and mm. um, incorrect beliefs, um, have something incredible to offer us that can guide us toward wisdom. Yes. If you believe in absolute truth, goodness, and beauty, I mean, if that if that means classical education is intrinsically conservative, then okay, fine. <laughs> yes, that's yeah, true, yeah. right? But but as we said earlier, um, classical education and the goals of classical education. Uh, I mean, look at the tradition, mm. the, the the centuries of the tradition. They transcend geography. It, 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 classical education transcends a, a particular uh, group of people or, or or a particular political viewpoint, and so I do think it's dangerous if um, if people come to view classical education as a sort of let's say uh, conservative, Republican, right wing approach to education. Okay. Um, yeah. Because I think that this is valuable for everyone in our society and should be recognized as such. I could pick your brain all day. Uh, Dr. Diener, final question. We always end the Anchor podcast uh, talking about books, especially the books uh, that, that, that you go back to kind of time year after year, the books that you reread. Uh, what is that for you? Well, I guess the... Uh... The Bible's a cop out, right? There's... Well, we say that you've got to pick a book in the Bible if you're going to go. Yeah, no. I, I mean, obviously, I mean, there's all there's all the greats. I, I mean, Scripture obviously is formative. I mean, Plato's Republic, uh, Aristotle's Nicomachean Ethics, etc. I mean, we could go through that list. But um, if if I think about you said a book, I go back to. Um, uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna pick a novel actually, um, which is which is Hugo's Les Mis. Oh, okay. um, and that's my favorite novel. And I find as I've gone through life, it's over a thousand pages long, you know, uh, but, uh, but seeing it right there on your shelf. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but I go back to it uh, and, and reread it. It's almost 1500 pages long um, because I think that the themes, the themes in it uh, inspire and renew my soul. Okay. Um, the themes of, of forgiveness, the themes of, of benevolence and doing good, uh, the themes of steadfastness and perseverance, um, and, and all of these, um, so, so there's a sort of personal, uh, th things as you watch Jean Valjean and the other characters, 
uh, but also these deep themes of of justice and mercy, of the individual and society, of um, of um, uh, of the state and the church. I mean, all, there are so many themes in that in that in that book that I think are so beautifully woven together. So, for folks uh, not open to a fifteen hundred page book, do you recommend the <laughs> the Anne Hathaway? Uh, were you were you happy with that rendition? What were your thoughts? You know, I. I usually, uh, that's the Russell, Russell Crowe. Russell Crowe, yeah. yeah. So, so I usually as sort of as a general rule, do not watch movies of great books okay. that I've read. <laughs> now I've made a couple of exceptions and yeah. that is one. And, um, and, and I would say the thing that I did like about that version is that essentially what it, what, what they're doing is sort of simulating the, the musical show also. Yeah. Right. So the soundtrack is for, for, for is, is incredible yeah. uh, as well. Um, and so what they did is, is sing movie. And I did, I did think it was well done. Yeah. Love it. Yeah. yeah now we are here, uh, on campus, uh, at Hillsdale college, uh, with Dr. Diener, uh, Dr. Diener, thanks so much for your time. We'd love for you to be back. We, we thank you for, uh, being on our academic board at CLT. Uh, and again, teachers, uh, it is the graduate school of classical education, offering a ma- master of arts in classical education at Hillsdale college. Uh, Dr. Diener, thanks for your time today. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. I want to take a quick break here from the podcast to make a special invite here to join us for a live event that we do almost every Thursday night. We call it JTAB, our journey through the author bank. And the idea is to take a top professor at a CLT partner college and uh, and have them teach on a thinker from the CLT author bank. So it could be, for example, uh, a great mind from Benedictine or Ave Maria or Hillsdale or Grove City, and they're teaching on C.S. Lewis or Dante, or Flannery O'Connor, or Shakespeare. Uh, it's a great event on our website, cltexam.com, under Find a College, you can navigate to Author Bank Seminars. And on that page, you can register for our mailing list and never miss one of these seminars. High school students also have a chance to participate in these seminars. We've done this on C.S. Lewis, Dante, Shakespeare, you name it. It's a great time. Uh, invite your, your, your children, invite your friends. Uh, it's a live event. It's a lot of fun. We hope to see you there. Thanks for listening to this episode of Anchored. If you enjoyed it, please be sure to leave a rating or review on your podcast platform of choice. And remember to subscribe and share with your friends and colleagues. Thanks for joining us and we'll see you next time.